Hello, and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. You know what we are sneaking up on here? Uh, no. A holiday that I invented. Oh, I'm, I'm, <laughs> okay. So, uh, have you named the holiday? I have, yes. Do tell. Okay, so just as a little backstory, um, uh, I love holidays. I love having things to look forward to. I love ridiculous activities. Uh, one of the things that has been hard during the pandemic is just like a, a lack of things to look forward to. Um, so we talked a while back about uh, how we've been doing theme days in my house where we just like designate today is Star Wars day. And, you know, we talk about Star Wars and watch Star Wars and listen to the Star Wars soundtrack and the kids drink blue milk and it's delightful. Um and so as I've kind of been looking ahead to like where the holidays are and okay, we can do Hanukkah, we've got solstice and we've got Christmas and we've got New Year's. Um, but then there's this kind of like lull of actual holidays. And so I've been wanting to like invent something fun, some kind of, you know, good theme day to have uh, um, later on in the winter. So I went on the Farmer's Almanac website and I found out the date of the average first frost in Northfield, Minnesota, and the date of the average last frost. Uh, and it turns out the midway point between those two is January 17th. So January 17th is like, you know, statistically, historically, halfway through winter. So on January 17th, we're going to be celebrating uh, Midwinter Ball. Mm. So at Carleton, Midwinter Ball is like the name of the students' like dance thing at mm -hmm. midterm. Mm -hmm. Um but I thought it was funny to name ours that too. So we're going to have Midwinter Ball, and it's going to be a glorious celebration of all things winter. So ice lanterns, hot cocoa, soup and mugs, snow forts, sledding, playing outside all day and night. Um, and not like a, thank goodness it's half over, but like a hallelujah, this is winter. This is the place where we live, you know, howling at the stars mm -hmm. and uh, enjoying all that winter in Minnesota has to offer. I love it. Can I come? Uh, sure. You have to stay about six feet away and wear a mask. Okay. But uh, yeah, the, the backyard's really big. All right. I love I love that idea. And uh, maybe it will catch on. You have to pitch it maybe to the so. greeting card companies to make it, you know, commercially <laughs> viable. But I, I bet I bet you could get some uh, midwinter ball greeting cards out there. I hope Carlton hasn't like trademarked that name or anything. Right. Well, quick, get on it. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, dear listeners, <laughs> if, um, if, uh, anyone wants to celebrate and send in, um, uh, pictures of themselves celebrating or something like that, uh, I would, I would love to, uh, love to see those. Cool. So it's a new year and, um, some people might be starting new research projects and that's or making new year's resolutions or making new year's resolutions uh but i wonder if um this would be a good time to talk about um like well what, what you and i have been calling a research project pipeline you put the research in one end of the tube and then it comes out the other end of the you tube you turn the crank and it come, out comes a paper <laughs> that's more like a sausage grinder which is also yeah, yeah, accurate yeah, yeah. right yeah okay <laughs> put your ideas in the front and crank it out and yep right yeah, so the topic of the topic of today is uh, um, how do we go from "Hey, you know what I wonder" to "I'm happy to announce that our new paper is out." Well, we're not going to talk about like the publication stuff, but right. how you go from like research idea to through the stages of like designing the project and keeping it organized and making track of your decisions and like implement all of those implementation things. pipeline stuff, not like uh, publishing pipeline. Correct. So, you know what I wonder? 
I've got this cool science idea. Maybe we should do a study on it. Okay, so that's step one. <laughs> well, okay, so maybe you meant to go on from that, but actually, how do you, if if you have that thought while you're you're walking walking around your house or whatever, how do you capture that? So I have a Google Doc called Brilliant Experiment Ideas. Um, do, do you have another I, one that's like kind of mediocre ideas? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that you get any, but it's in, in theory. I don't have any of those, actually. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. So when, when I think of things that like seem promising, I, you know, make little notes about them. Um, one thing I have learned is you have to make more notes about them than you think. Because sometimes like I have opened it up and I'll be like, great idea. Look at the thing about how the face affects speech. I'll be like, ooh, I need just a little bit more about that right, to implement that, right. Julia, mm-hmm. of the past. Um, but yeah, so I have I have kind of a, a dock of those going. And then the good ones, I feel like I just kind of remember. Mm-hmm. But I write them down for those that I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How about you? Uh, well, it, currently, I, I don't tell anyone. Uh, I don't really have a good system. Right now, uh, things are in my mind and things are in grants. And I feel like I'm a little bit like overwhelmed with like reasonable ideas and I have to do them all. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I don't, um, so I never find myself thinking, I wish I had a list of projects to do because I already have like too many that are active Mm -hmm. in a way, Um, Mm -hmm. which I don't think is the best way to do it because I think then I end up doing things that are right in front of me, which might be Mm -hmm. like less important in the big picture, but are just convenient or related to something. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I used to, have a uh, in my OmniFocus organization system. I used to have like a project that was wasn't really a project. It was just a list of ideas. Uh, previous to that, I had a paper notebook I tried to carry around with me, but I found that I did not always have it with me. Whereas I always had my phone, and then I switched yeah. over to electronic, uh, kind of begrudgingly, just because I always had it, my phone with me. So uh, anyway, so in theory, I have that list somewhere, but I don't really use it very much. Yeah, you know, as we were saying that, I realized that like the last few things that we have decided to implement are not because I was like, oh, I wonder what we should do next. Let me look at my list. But are, you know, have come from like, we finished one project and, oh, you know what, what would be really cool is to know the next step of this. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so most of the things we've done lately have been like extensions of current projects or every once in a while something where, where, you know, we have an idea and I'm like, oh, we just, we have to do that next. I can't wait. I'm just, we've got to do that one next. Right. Um, but I guess, you know, if we hit a lull or something like that, it's well, you, nice you, to you have, have a whole list of brilliant ideas that uh, yeah, yeah, you can yeah. go back mm-hmm. to. Yeah. It, it might also be nice, you know, next time I'm thinking about writing a grant to say, you know, when I need to have more than one experiment idea at a time mm-hmm. um, to go back and be like, oh yeah, what are the questions I've kind of been puzzling about? In the last couple of years. Yeah. Or are there kind of common themes that, that can tie together, you know, different studies that you may not have already, yeah. already thought of? You say, oh, look, exper- you know, four of these experiments actually could fit into a, a grant on blah, 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 even though mm-hmm. I, did, I kind of thought of them independently. That would be kind of fun, yep. actually. Yeah. yeah. So then, once you have the nugget of the idea, what makes it go from being a nugget of an idea to, you know, a real project. When does it enter the, the pipeline? What makes it go in the tube? <laughs> what makes it go in the tube? Well, so what's, are, is another way to say that is like, what's the first step? Like if I've decided I'm going to do, <laughs> do this study. Yes. Another, another potentially more boring way of saying that is yes, I, what is the first step? <laughs> um, I, so what I typically do, and maybe we can talk a little bit later about like 
I have di- I have different approaches for different studies, and and that's one thing I don't like. But I'm just going to pretend I always do it the same way. Um, and so I have uh, a Basecamp project. Uh, I have a template for most projects that has um, a bunch of to do lists uh, that have sections on them, like prepare for the study, uh, get get the IRB approval set, make the experimental stimuli available, and or you know created or whatever. And so, sort of like some general steps that almost every study we run has to do and then i sort Mm -hmm. of like edit that and fill in the details for this specific study um and that is usually helpful at helping me not forget things and also um a lot of my you know projects a lot of these experiments have um students and other people who aren't me and so it's sort of a convenient way to like go through the list and assign jobs to people who aren't me or maybe some of them are me uh Mm -hmm. and kind of go through go through like a first pass of like yeah, backgroundy, preparing the stimuli, IRB type stuff. Mm-hmm. How about you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the first step is it gets its own Google Drive folder. That's what makes it really official. Um, and it gets a name. Uh, we tend to use either acronym names. Um, so the project about listening effort and audiovisual integration of speech became Levi's. Um, or we use, you know, silly inside joke names for things. But I feel like the, the real major first step, a project is really born when it has a name in a Google Drive folder. And then within that folder, um, the, the documents that go in right away in the current workflow are um, the manuscript um, and the project log. <clears throat> so the manuscript is, well, it's the manuscript. Um, what we have often done in the past is have like a, a, a table at the top of the manuscript that's like, um, uh, right method section program IRB pre registration that we can like do the the checklist like you were saying of of all of those things. Um, we don't always do that, but uh, that's what we should. That's a useful step. Um, and then the project log is the record of all of the decisions that we have made over the course of the project and 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 why. Um, and so the the manuscript is you know the the place where all the writing happens and also to kind of help keep track of where where in the pipeline the project is and what needs doing next i like that a lot we uh so one one interesting thing as a sidebar um at least for me a lot of the um uh this whole the whole organizational system that i'm describing is sort of like 50 percent thoughtful and intentional and 50%, this is sort of where we landed after trying stuff for practical constraints, right? And so some of that's mm-hmm. changeable and some of it's not. But I, you know, I find myself sort of like, anyway, second guessing this. I'm like, should we actually do it this way? So we mm-hmm. have a, um, our version of what you describe is we have a folder on box um, for every for every IRB project. And the reason we do that is is for reasons relating to how the IRB likes to see our data if we ever get audited, which I live in continual fear of, although it's never happened. Knock on wood. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And so everything is sort of organized by IRB protocol, um, which is great if we get audited, but if we don't, it makes some stuff awkward. And then like, anyway, so so things kind of progress uh, at different paces. And so that's where, you know, the IRB approval happens first, and then we make the um, a bunch of these folders on our on our box drive because box is is approved and we won't go to to IRB jail if they find us storing things on Google <laughs> Drive and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. 
within there we have um, a couple of this is also boring, but like we have a we have a subfolder for regulatory documents, which is all the IRB stuff, which we get more and more of those every every year. There's more stuff we have to keep track of. There's a a shared folder, and that um that folder is what gets linked to OSF. Uh, and so in that our public, you know, everything's de-identified, everything is okay to be shared, and we're not sharing it yet, but I like to like forecast everything in this folder, you know, should be shareable. And so that has like stimulus materials and data and analysis scripts. Uh, And then there's a private folder, which has all the, uh, you know, protected uh, health information uh, and, and, you know, stuff we can't share. Um, And so that has a list of our participants and and documentation of consent and whatever, and everything else goes in there. So, so that overall structure is the same for every project and tends to work fairly well. Um, One thing that is not integrated uh, the way that you've done it is like a manuscript stuff and manuscript stuff. Um, I always struggle with that, but, uh, anyway, but maybe we can talk about that later. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when we, um, when we start doing brainstorming of like, okay, what are the conditions going to be? And is it between subjects or within subjects or those kinds of things? Um, we generally like do that in the method sections in the method section of the manuscript. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just like writing the methods as we're designing and then, and then, you know, the methods are like right there and written when we're starting to program too. Um, and I really like just having the writing process be part of the design process. Mm-hmm. Um, because then, you know, you're writing while you're thinking about it and while it's fresh in your head. Um, also, you know, uh, regularly things happen where you think, oh, we're going to design it this way. But then when you program it, you tweak it a little bit and you know, and, and like changes happen along the way. And so if, and and then when you have to write it, you know, and you're haven't looked at it in a long time, you're thinking, well, wait, did we end up doing this thing that we said in the notes? Let me look at the program. Um, and so I like just doing that all at once and getting it all on paper while it's, you know, right, fresh in memory. Mm -hmm. Do you, um, so one thing that I, I, I wrestle with a little bit myself is, um, you know, when I was a, a graduate student, uh, and so on, most of my writing happened like this. I, I told my advisor, I, I will write, I will write a draft of the methods or I'll write a draft of the introduction. And I went off and sat in my office and, and thought and, and like did all that work by myself. And then when I had something that I wanted feedback on, or I thought was like, quote unquote, ready, I would, I would send a draft in and get some, some feedback. And I, I don't, I have no memory of, of this. I'm sure some of them were better or worse than others. Um, but, but, you know, the feedback was useful and then I kind of went back and like worked on it myself. So, which I think a lot of labs work this way. Um, uh, and and so it was useful because I got to like work on the writing process independently. And I think that was helpful because, because I got to like figure out my own way of doing it. Um, and so sometimes, but, but I worry that that's not the only way to do it. And some people, um, you know, don't. Uh, want a different kind of help during writing. So I guess mm-hmm. this is a very long way of asking you. I, I love the idea of doing the methods while we're, you know, while we're planning a study and for stuff that is like, quote unquote, my project, I, I tend to do that already. But mm-hmm. for projects with students or, or anyone who doesn't have as much experience writing, I worry that I, I tend to jump in and I'll do too much of the writing, right? Or I'll like, change what they put in a little bit. And I just worry that I'm like robbing them of figuring out how to write a method section on their own. Do you, Mm -hmm. do you ever have that worry? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, and I think our situation is somewhat different because, you know, I'm working with undergrads and, and you're working with grad students mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so uh, the, the way that we write is typically very collaborative, um, especially for things like method sections. You know, mm-hmm. we'll go in and I'll, I'll write the headers like participants, stimuli, procedures, um, and then say, hey, student X, will you write up you know, like, uh, uh, look at the papers that we've been reading for labs. So you get a sense of like what kind of information goes in the stimuli section and then put it in there, you know, and, and I'll have a look at it, but it isn't the same kind of like you work till it's perfect and give me a draft. Right. Uh, I think in part, cause we're working in Google docs mm-hmm. and, you know, if I'm just have downtime, I'll go and look at what they're working on and they'll put in little comments that I'll, you know, answer casually. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's a much less like formal process than the way that I was trained. Um, I, I, I like doing it that way. Um, uh, probably just because that's the way that I would like to do it, right? I feel like if you say now is when you give me a formal draft, right? Um, that's more intimidating than yeah. just having it be like, "Hey, Julia, what do you think about this?" Um, it's probably more. Uh, it may be less efficient for me, right? Like I might spend m- more time on it than I otherwise would and get interrupted more regularly. But for teaching undergrads, I think it, it, it works really well for me. Well, and I also, I mean, the the flip side of it is, you know, regardless of who we're working with um you know there's well anyway i i i feel pretty confident in being able to write a manuscript um and so if i teach people the way that i like to do it even if i end up modeling a little bit too much at least at least they know how i like to do it instead of sort Mm -hmm. of and they can decide if they want to do that or not um as Mm -hmm. opposed to just leaving them to their own devices uh no i i mean about anyway i think based on one of our discussions i've um for the last year or so, I've been doing almost every manuscript I can in Google Docs, and I really like it. Um, even just for myself, uh, apart from collaborating, it feels like it lowers the bar somehow to like popping on and adding a few sentences, and then you know, and then popping off, uh, <laughs> uh, which I which I which I like. Uh, and so I've been, yeah. Anyway, I've, I've been kind of trying to force everyone I can to do that. Um, which largely has been has been good. So anyway, so maybe yeah. I should just embrace that and jump jump all in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so we yeah we typically like design everything, work on the methods first, um, and then as uh, as that's happening, usually then we are kind of like working on programming and writing the introduction simultaneously. So. Um, the, the way that we do intros often um, is is we'll kind of like as a lab. So I will like have as a lab assignment, um, you know, after we've talked about the project and why we're doing it and why it's interesting and all of that, I'll ask students to write an outline for the introduction. Um, and just like, you know, what are the big ideas? What are the things we need to talk about? What order do you think they should go in? And then in a lab meeting, we'll look at everybody's outlines, move things around and kind of make a big, you know, official outline. Um, and then often I'll like break that up into chunks and I'll say, okay, student A, why don't you tackle this chunk? Student B, you tackle this chunk. Um, and then people write those. Then we'll have another lab meeting, you know, where we like edit each other's. Um, and then I'll, you know, once we have like done that, I'll usually go through and like smooth and wordsmith and transitions and, mm-hmm. and, and those kinds of things. Um, so all of that, doing the methods and doing the intro is done. Um, is is we do first. <clears throat> and then once we have that done, then the next steps are doing the IRB and doing the pre-registration. And those by that point are super easy because we've already written 
the outline and the methods. And so it's mostly just cutting and pasting. Um, we're very lucky that the Carlton IRB turns stuff around super quickly. Um, it, they usually get it back to us, I mean, like w- within a week. Um, and so I remember when I was at other places, like doing the IRB is like the first thing you do because then it takes a long time. And, you know, by the time you're programmed, the IRB still hasn't come back and blah, blah, blah. But so our workflow is um, kind of dependent on the fact that the IRB comes back pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So let's pretend you have a new um, a new person in lab who hasn't, this is their first paper with you. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, like, I'm, I'm thinking about sort of like things like pre-registration and making your uh, making all your uh, things available and, and whatever that I think um, for you, Julia, are you kind of take for granted? And I'm guessing people who have been in your lab for a period of time also take for granted. Um, but I, but for people who are new to your lab or for, for some of our listeners who um, are kind of transitioning to like making more stuff available, at, you know, do you have like an explicit discussion about this um, as part of the process or like, or a checklist, or like, how do you incorporate that, some of those um, some of those things? You mean for like teaching them the value of pre registration? Yeah, or just that like it's a thing. Like, is it just like, of course we do this, or do you like do you have a just? I mean, are, do you ever do, do you ever do a study that isn't pre registered? You know, these days, or 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 what? Um, no, no, we we pre register everything now. Um, yeah, so we so when new students join the lab, they read. Um, what's called the Perception Lab Crash Course, which is an incredible 30-page single-space document that the astonishing Violet Brown wrote. And then um, other students have kind of been, been updating over the years that is basically like, here's a survey of the literature on the stuff that we study and how our work fits into it. Um, but it also has a section on open science stuff and why we do open science the way we do and those kinds of things. Um, and so that's always the first thing that students read when they join the lab. So they're getting an intro to open science right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we'll often like read open science related articles for lab meeting and, and talk about, you know, and talk about open science issues there too. Um, I also have new students partner up with more senior students um, to, 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 uh, outside of lab meeting to do what's called having reading buddies, um, where they'll talk through some of those things too, or I'll have the more senior students like present an article, like an open science article where they fill the more junior students in on things. Um, but I definitely like uh, the way that I train them is just like this is the way that I think our science can be done best, and this is the way that we do it. Um, and it, it definitely has happened before that students will be like, "Wait, does not everybody pre-register stuff?" And mm-hmm. They'll be like, "Oh, no, no, no. Okay, right. I haven't. So I, I maybe don't always do enough talking about this is new and different. I just say, you know, this is." This is how we do it. Mm-hmm. And in given that it's their first experience with science, like they don't know, they don't know any other ways. You know, they're like, wait, does not everyone do IRBs or wait, does not everyone have a result section? It's like, no, this is just how, how we do it. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have, I've mentioned this before, but I'll, I'll mention it again, uh, just in case we have a listener who has not listened to all 34 prior episodes of our podcast. Um, so I, I, a few years ago, I put together a checklist for um, for scientific papers. And, um, and this was sort of like for myself, but also for people in the lab, um, to kind of walk through some of the, um, kind of statistical and open sciencey type decisions. Uh, and, and we've had, um, you know, we've been increasingly moving towards more pre-registration and open materials, but for various reasons, not every study is like that. And so we, we just ran a study, um, we're still kind of working on it, but, but it was the first time we had done it. And so we, 
we had I had no idea how to estimate sample size and I had no idea how we're gonna analyze the data and and so we didn't pre-register it. Um but we we did kind of talk about it. So anyway, so the the, the checklist is kind of there to encourage me um to talk this over with all of the everyone doing a project um so they can kind of understand the reasoning behind um the decisions we're making and and why or why not we're doing we're doing certain things. Um and I mentioned that we always have a base camp project one of the like automatically populated to-do items is to go over this checklist. Um, and so I, ideally we would do this like early on in the project to we kind of talk through, through some of these in practice. Uh, I found that sometimes people ignore that to-do item. And then at the end of the project, we go back and talk about this stuff retroactively, which is uh, not ideal, but anyway, usually we talk about it at some point. Mm-hmm. So I, I, one reason, and we might we might come back to this more today or in a future episode. But one of the things I like about the checklist is, like, my goal was was basically moving. Um, anyway, towards checking off more items. So I may not be able to check off every every ideal thing for every study, but if I can move more studies to doing more items, that feels like progress to me, um, as opposed to like an all or none kind of like did you do good science or bad science? It's like, well, right. here are 10 yeah. things I'd like to do. And in this study, I could do five of them, which is more than, more than four, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's been helpful for my lab, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I really like, I mean, this is, um, people talk about this in terms of open science, but I think it's you know true of a lot of things too, that, um, uh, talk about following the, the buffet model of open science, which is just go and grab what works and, what works for this project. And I think a lot of times people are um, nervous about doing open science stuff. Cause it's like, because there are so many different things you can do, right? Like, do I do a registered report? Do I post a preprint? Do I share my data and code? Um, and for people just getting started, I think the answer is like, you do what you can do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I definitely added things piecemeal and, you know, one thing at a time. And, um, and so, yeah, a checklist seems like a nice way of, of kind of forcing yourself to consider like, Hey, could we share our code for this? Hey, could we put our stimuli online for this? Um, just as a way of uh, helping remind yourself mm-hmm. to think about those things. Well, I think one of the challenges that I I have is that um, with multiple projects in the lab, all of which are, um, uh, m- many of which are on different grants, many of which have different people in charge of them, some of which are with my lab, some of which are with other labs, like trying to get some like common ground for like this is the way we do things um has, has felt really challenging because like mm-hmm. I, in my own mind i'm like here's how i would like to do things but then there are always like reasons with a capital r why individual studies don't quite <laughs> fall into that um mm-hmm. you know and, and sometimes i have control over them or sometimes i'm being lazy or sometimes it feels like things are less in my control um but i think that's felt like if i if i sat all everyone in my lab down around a table and just sort of said like, here's how things are. I feel like it wouldn't be accurate for anyone because they all have, you know, all of their projects have like, yeah, different, different deviations. Um, I guess I would, I would like it if we were a little more consistent. So maybe I should just try and, and then deal with the deviations. But anyway, the checklist has been like one of one way I've tried to kind of adapt to that. Yeah, no, it's, it's a, it's a nice idea. Um, and I, I think most of my projects are pretty similar um, because given that I'm working with undergrads, um, 
even though they will be individual students will like take the lead on particular projects and be first authors on particular projects. Um, it's still much more of like a, I'm mentoring them of how to, how to do that. And so I think I have, um, I probably exert more top-down control than I would if I was in a grad program where I'm like, yep, yeah, it's your study. Tell me what you need from me. Right. Well, uh, anyway, and don't, don't tell, maybe don't, if you're a graduate student who works with me, don't listen to this part. Um, but sometimes I do wonder if I should be a little more top down just for my own consistency, because I think sometimes, um, not, not even that, that graduate students make, make the wrong choices. It's more just like when it's out of my hands, then I, I feel less involved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's sort of this mm-hmm. tension between wanting people to be independent researchers and then me wanting to like, have an idea what's going on with their project. Uh, and so I think I, I still, I still struggle with the best way to, to find balance there. Yeah. That seems like, that seems like a tricky thing. Cause, um, part, if, if part of the goal is like help letting people figure out for themselves how to best do things, then obviously not telling them exactly what to do is useful. Um, and, and on the other hand, it seems like it might be useful to say, Hey, just so you know, there's like a few different approaches people often take. Some people do this and they like it for this reason, or people do this and they like it for this reason, you know, so mm-hmm, try mm-hmm. things out and right. see what works for you. I, I remember at various points in my training, having to make decisions and being like, well, okay, I know I get to do whatever I want, but I have no, I like, I feel like I don't know <laughs> enough to know what I want. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And, and, and obviously all of us learn from making mistakes or if not mistakes, they're just trying stuff out and kind of working yeah. our own way through it. And I think, you know, there's a lot of value in that. So anyway, so th- we're, we're getting a little bit off topic, but as we think mm-hmm, about mm-hmm. sort of like shepherding a project through a pipeline, um, uh, you know, then I think, you know, one of the the things that comes up is if you're working with collaborators, whether they're people more senior to you or more junior to you or your peers, like, how do you involve them? And, and you have a vision of a, of, a, of a pipeline and like, how do you involve them? So if you're a graduate mm-hmm. student, maybe you have undergrads who work with you, like, you know, do you give them any freedom? Do you just tell them what they're going to do? What if you're a grad student with a lot of freedom, but you have a advisor or, or you're, you're a professor, heck, like me, and you have a senior colleague who you're working with who has a different view of things. How do you like, you know, incorporate their mode of working into your own pipeline? I think that's kind of like a, a broader challenge that um that doesn't always go away as you get more senior and i guess until you're the most senior then you just tell everyone what to do but i'm not there yet so (laughs) i still have to think about think about my colleagues i guess do you have you had experiences where you've been working with people who have like not like super conflicting ideas because i guess you probably wouldn't work together but like just different modes of of working like they love they yeah. love writing everything in LaTeX and you love writing in Google Docs. I'm like, how do you like? Yeah, solve no, that? I've I've definitely like had great collaborations with wonderful scientists who want to like write email word documents back and forth, um, which would which is not the way that I would ever want to do it if I was in charge. Um, and the way that I've typically done those is that like the pro like someone is the lead on the project mm-hmm. and they get to make the calls about how it's organized. Mm-hmm. So. Um, you know, some collaborations that I've done are with someone at another institution, but it's, you know, primarily my project. And so I, you know, so we use my system. Um, but I've also just, you know, been working on projects where I'm not the first author or it's really their idea and I'm just helping out. And in that case, they get to, they get to make the calls and, you know, sometimes like with concessions to me. So I have a great colleague that I've done, um, some collaborations with who's in computer science and I'm sure he would like to just write in law tech and 
I don't know, use Git for uh-huh. version control or something, but he uh-huh. takes pity on me. Um, and we, we use other systems. Mm-hmm. Um, we use Overleaf so we can still use LaTeX, but, mm-hmm. but in a way that is more palatable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so mostly it's like whoever's in charge gets to make the call. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have not had collaborations where, I don't know, we try to like come up with a new system that, well, I don't know. Yeah, I, I just think of it as like, if it's your project, we'll use your your system. Yeah, yeah. I mean, one one thing I've I've run into a little bit is like there'll be something that is my you know my lab's project, so we use my system, but like no one comments on the Google Doc, and so then I have to download it and email around a Word document, and then people will comment on it. So I feel oh, like you know, like no no one says I'm not going to use your system, but like you know they they, they speak with their feet, uh, and I have to like meet them, <laughs> you know, meet them where they're comfortable uh, uh-huh, for, to uh-huh. get comments back. Yeah. You know some of these collaborators. I won't mention their names. But <laughs> I wasn't, you, know, you, you can guess. Yeah. <clears throat> yep. Um. Anyway. So, but the, anyway, that's that's fine. That happens. That happens no matter what. In a way. So. One one of the things that is new to my workflow, um, that I love and will never not use is uh is the the project log document that I mentioned mm-hmm. before. Mm-hmm. Um. So I have found through trial and error that. It always happens that you do something in a project and later you can't remember why you did it that way and not another way. But you're, you know, I've, I've had so many of these conversations where I'm like, no, no, I remember we were sitting in the lab and I was sitting in that chair and I said, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. We should do it your way. But I don't remember what the reason was. And now, you know, maybe we should go back and do it a different way, whatever. So in the project log, um, we write down like, Every time we make a decision to do something or we implement something or we say, you know, on January 12th, uh, Julia converted the stimuli to their new format and added them to the folder or whatever, you know, so it's so it's like keeping track of um, what we did and 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 why we did it so that if later on we have one of those moments of like, why did we decide to do it that way or is this the most recent version of this or something? We, we like have a record of, um, of, of all of that. And it's super annoying. Like, I feel like one of the things I say to my wonderful lab manager the most is like, okay, don't forget to log it. Don't forget to log it. I mean, and like, he never does, but, but mm-hmm. it's always like, I just, I really want to keep very good track of, 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 of all of those choices. Um, I, I think that's, also likely to be useful um, when thinking about authorship, you know, because when you're like at the end of a paper and you think, boy, I know who's been working on this project in the last month, but I can't quite remember who was helping out early on. Um, it's also nice to have a record of like so-and-so revised it and sent it to Julia on this date. So-and-so did all the work for this part, whatever. Mm-hmm. So a, a couple of thoughts. So I wonder if, um, uh, well, anyway, I, I- I'd love to. I'd love to see an example of a project log of yours. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe you could share one with me, or maybe, um, maybe we could anonymize one or whatever, and like, and mm-hmm. link to it from the um, from the episode. Uh, we sure. can think about if that's if that's feasible. But I think it's a really good idea. One thing I've been trying to do um, pretty successfully is, is like when we have project meetings. Uh, well, okay, when I have big meetings with lots of people about a grant i try to take meeting minutes um Mm -hmm. and uh and and which has been helpful and that documents a lot of stuff but a lot of times so if we have a grant there are multiple experiments and different experiments have different irbs and those are in different folders and so like the meeting minutes contain some of those decisions that you just talked about 
but it's not like project specific. And so if you asked me, okay, for this project, what were all the decisions that were made? I, I, I don't have anywhere to, to get that. Uh-huh, so uh-huh. I kind of, if I like your idea, I think for a lot of my projects, it would, it would involve some double, like double entry. You know what I mean? Like if we yeah. kept meeting minutes, we would keep those, but then stuff for specific projects would have to go to the specific project, but maybe that's mm-hmm. worth it. Um, or, or anyway, if someone, if someone listening right now is not taking any, uh, not writing anything down, then, then you could just do a project log and maybe that's, that's easier. I guess for yeah. some of my meetings, it's only in one project anyway. So maybe it could do double duty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't do meeting minutes. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 it's useful. So, okay. Why do I do it? Um, I, during my postdoc, uh, um, which was in Cambridge, I, it was just part of the culture that if you had a meeting, you had to have minutes. Uh, also, you had to have an agenda. So you'd send around the agenda ahead of time. People could see what was going to be discussed. If they had other suggestions, they'd let you know. Uh, and then there were minutes afterwards. Um, and that was great for keeping a record of like things that people said they would do. Um, and then also, if someone can't come to the meeting, it was great to have notes. You could you could read mm-hmm. them and share them. And so that was like for lots of different meetings, not only big fancy meetings, but just more, more informal meetings. Um, and I feel like most of the people I work with don't, don't do it at all. Um, mm-hmm. But sometimes then I find as an attendee, I'll show up to a meeting and, and like no one knows what we're going to talk about. Like some things that's really obvious, like we're going to do, you know, there's always updates every week on a project. So we're going to meet weekly. I don't, I don't need a, a, an agenda, but for, for some meetings it feels like we like it was on the calendar but we don't actually have stuff to talk about right or like there are things that don't get talked about that should or whatever so i i think it's i think it's useful at least with um collaborators i try to like respect their time by doing that yeah yeah that makes sense so in our pipeline julia i think we've talked about like a little bit about organizing files um, your, I think all of your files are basically in a folder on Google drive and mine are spread out in 18 places, but I know where they are. Uh, mm-hmm. we've talked about, uh, starting to write a manuscript early on. Um, mm-hmm. how, uh, maybe we should talk a little bit about like analysis and results type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. how do you, how do you structure that? So as we are working on, um, the pre-reg, we also, um, uh, and, and we've been doing this more and more recently um, is as we're writing the pre-reg also like filling in the results section of the manuscript with everything except the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, so in our last project, it was, it was even actually like saying a linear mixed, a, 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 a test comparing the full model with the reduced model showed that put in placeholder for numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's not, if it's not like actually writing up all the language, it's at least like we're doing these three analyses. The first one is looking at this and this, whatever. So that the results section also has the kind of the, the, the bones in place as well. Um, what we have mostly, mostly lately, we don't actually write code until we have data. It's not always true. Sometimes we start on code before we have data, but, but usually, um, usually we don't start on code until after we have at least like some of the data. So we can like figure out the form they're going to take and how they're going to need to be cleaned and and that kind of stuff. Um, and a lot of our projects are, um, you know, we, we use a lot of the same tasks. And so a lot of times we can take code from previous projects and adapt it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will often assign my undergrads to, you know, just like start figuring out what we need to do with the data and start writing code to, to kind of 
clean and organized. Um, of course, not all of my students have like data analysis chops, but um, many of them, you know, have taken a few stats classes and are interested in in learning R. And so for those that are interested, um, <laughs> I'll let them kind of have first crack of the code and especially like borrowing from our, our previous projects. And then, and then of course I'll go through and, and check everything too. We also, we put in kind of checks for data along the way. So any code that comes out of our lab, um, at least two people have like gone through line by line and checked everything. Um, and then we also, uh, when the, when we have like entered numbers into the manuscript, we have at least two people go through and check that the numbers that R is giving us match the numbers in the manuscript. Mm -hmm. We have not yet switched to using, um, uh, I say, I say yet, like I have concrete plans to, which I don't, so it's not quite true, um, to using R Markdown or some kind of like fully reproducible manuscript writing mm -hmm. software. So, um, for people who aren't familiar, that's a way that you can like do your analysis and write your paper in R so that then there is no step of putting the R input into the manuscript. Um, that has a ton of benefits. Um, it's, it's got some challenges too, for the kind of collaboration that I do in working with undergrads. So we, we don't do that, but that's another way of making sure that the, the whole manuscript is fully reproducible. I mean, I, I was going to ask you about that, actually. What, I've, what we have not also done, done much with our markdown, what I have been encouraging people, my, my, my vision is that um, analyses are done in our markdown, not so much to like write the manuscript, but just to like annotate what's been done. So instead of writing in like comments in an R script about like, here's where we did the next thing, you could actually mm -hmm. just explain what you're doing. So it's more like an annotated analysis than actually a chunk mm -hmm. of the paper. Um, and, you know, like in a, in a lazy perspective, if someone sends me an analysis, would I rather just have a plot, just have the code? Well, neither of those are like actually what I want or have like a PDF um, that has like, here, and next I did this thing and then show me the, Show me the plot, and that's what I want. So that's mm -hmm. kind of what our markdown mm -hmm. gives. Uh, if anyone from my lab is listening, we're not quite there yet, so keep working. But anyway, that's my that's my vision. Um, and then and then all the manuscripty stuff just gets written in uh, you know in Google Docs or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I also do you like um, do you tend to how much do you tend to break your code up into like chunks or different scripts or do you have like one script that kind of does everything or do you try to do like different files for different analyses we typically just have one file for all the analysis for an experiment so that that script will go from here's the raw data to here's the figures and mm -hmm. uh models and and everything like that mm -hmm. um if we have like multi-experiment papers sometimes it'll be like Here's the code for experiment one. Here's the code for experiment two. Um, but within an experiment, it's all in one place. Yeah. I mean, I, I sometimes do that. And then sometimes, especially if there's like data cleaning or, or formatting stuff, I sometimes mm -hmm. like split that out or, or like anonymization. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I'll include the script that did the anonymizing, even though I don't share the, the data I can't share. You know what I mean? But that's like, that's its own thing. And then I'll have a script that just reads that in. Um, but mm -hmm. those are things that I feel like I'm still evolving how I do it. And it's, um, mm -hmm. I guess I, I bring it up because for me, that is a little bit of a barrier towards like doing analysis is like thinking about how I organize it. And it's also a barrier to sharing because if I'm sharing all my code, then I like go back and rethink about how I'm 
doing all this stuff, right? Whereas if it's just on mm-hmm. my on my computer, I don't think about it. And so I don't know. Maybe maybe some people who are listening are also like are also stymied by that. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I mean, I think it's important to keep in mind too that like your methods are going to change, right? And like mm-hmm. this this workflow that we currently have. Um, is you know is has evolved like when i when i first started at carlton we emailed around word docs and did everything in spss and Mm -hmm. didn't post anything you know it's like it's unrecognizable um and so it's funny like when i think back you know like the students who i keep in touch with who are in my lab early like oh i trained you in like a just a wildly different way Mm -hmm. than i'm doing it now Mm -hmm. so i think you know, for anyone who is listening to this and being like, wow, this all sounds complicated. How am I going to figure out my perfect system? Um, I would encourage you to just think of like, you know, make one change that works if it helps and, you know, and, and go from there. I think, um, we're all, we're all in quest of the perfect system and maybe some of us will arrive before we retire, but we're all just, you know, (laughs) maybe (laughs) trying to make it a little better every time. Well, and I think, you know, the reason, I mean, we should have said this at the outset, but I think one reason to talk about, um, you know, that we're talking about like sort of the system or pipeline is not because there is any such thing as a perfect system, but it's sort of like, you know, we've all got lots of potential tools and you have to like put them together. You know, it's like, what, you know, what are your goals when you're doing a project is, you know, I'm imagining um, you and I have similar goals about like keeping track of the data and, uh, you know, keeping track of the decisions we make and making it easy to write up and, you know, keeping everything really accurate. And so there's different ways to do that uh, and different Mm -hmm. people have different approaches. And so I think, but most people don't really talk about them a lot. So I mostly um, have like learned from the people I worked with directly and, and like a couple collaborators, including you, Julia. Um, Mm -hmm. But like, I don't really know what, like what do most people do? Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So listeners, if you have ideas, your listeners, (laughs) (laughs) well, actually, I I would love to hear from people about if you have a a systematic way of organizing, you know, projects, uh, either, either file system type stuff, or just like conceptually, um, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, if on our website, uh, juiceandsqueeze.net, there's a contact button to click and you can send us an email and we'd love to, um, we'd love to hear from you anyway. And especially if you have ideas about this got some really nice emails from people in december thank you very much for um for to those of you who are sending those in and uh those of you who aren't would you like to you sure can we read every email we get we we, we also we're pretty good about writing back i think we write back to yeah. almost everyone uh, we yeah. certainly read them all and appreciate them so so thanks for yeah. your encouragement and we we still have some juice and squeeze stickers that we'd love to send you if you send us your address we'll send you some stickers all right, dear listeners. Well, in this new year, we wish you a uh, smooth sailing through your pipelines. Let us know how things are going and we'll talk to you next time. All right. Bye, everybody.
that's pretty good. I liked I liked the smooth sailing in your pipelines, although you didn't like it. But I thought that was okay. Well, no, I just felt I just felt cheesy saying it. Okay, let me let me get let me give another one a try. Okay, <laughs> you felt cheesy. Well, since when has that ever stopped us before? <laughs> Touche. 